Here we go again. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Red and Blue Review. We've only got four left until the end of the season. We're getting there. We celebrate this evening, 40 points and safety. We're going to look back on the um, Wolves game very briefly, touch on events in and out of Sellers Park yesterday afternoon. Uh, Ian's going to look after the Wolves game when he comes online. Uh, we're going to be, I'm going to be joined by Fergus Tid as well any second now. Here's Ian. How you doing, mate? Very good evening, Nick. Good evening, everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm very well, thank you very much. And Ferg, uh, how are you, bud? Are you well? Yeah, evening all. Yeah, very well, thanks, Nick. And our special guest, as always, and I think he's here with us most weeks now to the end of the season, he's now got a regular sh slot on the show, as well as at Sellers Park. Welcome back to Jim Cannon. How are you, boss? Are you all right, mate? Um, very well, thank you. Yeah, I hope you're all good. Yeah, we're... Absolutely fine. I mean, we're safe, so life couldn't be any better, could it? Uh, and Roy no, Wilson, a magnificent job. Ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are watching in the world, please, please, please get over to our YouTube channel. Really important you find Red and Blue Review. Look out for that lo logo and get onto our YouTube channel. There it is, the Red and Blue Review, 8132. Most of our shows next season will be coming live and direct from our YouTube channel. So if you're not on there, Please give it a, a subscribe as soon as you can. It's really important to the future of our show. Um, so, gentlemen, where shall we start? I'll tell you what we'll do. We're going to kick off, if you don't mind, we're going to kick off with the loan players, and then one in particular, and I'm going to come straight to you, Jim. Uh, Jezrin Raksaki played the full match yesterday for Charlton and scored, uh, scored one and had an assist in the 3-2 home win against Port Vale, and he was voted man of the match. Now, this isn't a flat, Jim, this isn't a flash in the pan, this guy. Um, he has been doing it week in, week out for Charlton. Um, he's got to be in and amongst our first. Obviously, his loan period is coming to an end in, uh, in the next couple of weeks, but he's got to be in and amongst the Palace first team next season, isn't he? Well, you would expect that the club are going to, well, you definitely come back. Uh unless we go and buy a £30 million centre-forward, I would assume that he's probably better than the two lumps of wood that go on the park every now and again at our club in Matata in Edward. So, yes, I would expect him to come back and I'd expect him to be a, a serious contender for playing next year. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I'm looking at everybody going through on the chat. I can see each and every one of you. Lee, Mark, Teresa, Andrew, George, John, and Facebook user. And Facebook users already come back to you, mate, and said, lump of wood. Love it. Love lump of wood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Jed and Raksaki. Ferg, you think, you think it's time? I mean, we, we need to make another breakthrough from the academy, don't we? And he's got to be the classic example of the one that's got to join us, hasn't he? Absolutely, absolutely. He's got to come into the squad. I mean, we're, we're, we're potentially going to release, what, six or seven players at the end of the season. Uh, lots of money off the wage bill. And when you've got somebody like Aksaki, you can bring that um, that talent into the first team and give them a chance. He reminds me of a young Zaha. I think, you know, he'll come on. Um, maybe he'll get 15, 20 minutes at the end of uh, each game at the start of next season. Then hopefully... He'll, um, he'll grow and Ian, do you think it depends on the manager that comes in, whether Raksak or Angman D. Killian Phillips comes back to us? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it depends on the manager. Every manager wants to work with the players they want to work with. Um, I don't think any manager coming in um, would discount uh, both of those young players without having a good look at them. I think that's the first thing to say. Um, and hopefully, given how much time we've got to get a, a permanent manager in place um, once this season is finished, uh, then I think uh, hopefully we can get that, that piece of business done early and therefore the new guy can come in and and see what they've got to work with and then you know maybe make that request about what additions they need to this playing squad. But I, I would expect, like others have said, Jack Jezrek Saki and Killian Phillips both to be in contention for for places within within the squad. Um, I don't know what age, in terms of age, they might be um, okay to be allowed to be in the squad without being named in the 25. Someone might remind us in the chat what the age is. There's a minimum age, isn't there, where you don't have to be named in the squad um, to play Premier League football. Jim, Jim, I noticed yesterday one of your old mates was in the stand sitting right behind Parrish. Uh, there's no chance. Can you dispel any rumours that might be out on social media that Alan Pardew would be coming back as manager? Well, <laughs> I don't think you can dispel any rumour in football the way things are, but I would, being a Palace fan and being involved with the club, I would think it would be 100% impossible for him to be accepted back as manager of the club. But that's only my guess. Uh, I can't. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. I think there's a lot more uh, managers out there that are probably better than him. He's had his. He's had his little do. He's had his few goes. And I mean, he could West Ham. He, he was a kick away from winning the FA Cup. But in general, he didn't do a lot. Started very well with every club he was at and then fell away. So that probably tells you that he's probably not the right man for our club. Thank God for that. I thought for one minute then, I thought you were going to say, yeah, why not? Let's give him a chance. Uh, right, no. moving on. Remy Matthews and St. Johnson had no game this week. Rob Street started for Shrewsbury and was substituted in the 65th minute. Killian Phillips, uh, Fergon, coming to you, played the full 90 minutes in a 3-0 home defeat to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Ferg, I understand you've, you're a bit of a fan of Killian Phillips. I am. Yeah, Republic Violent player. Fantastic player. Um, like I said before, in the pre-season in Australia, he was man of the match against Liverpool. Um, right, met him in the bar afterwards and, and I'd had a chat with him and that. Lovely, lovely guy. I, I just think he's he's got so much potential. Um, yeah, I, I, he's definitely got to be in the first-team squad next season, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Him and, and Max Saki. Jake O'Brien uh, and RWD Molenbeek do not play until May the 6th. Jack Butler was again only made the bench for Man United. Another one that's going to come back, of course, unless we actually sell him against Aston Villa today. Malachi Boateng played the full 90 minutes for Queen's Park and scored, but they did lose 2-1 away at Greta Morgan. Uh, Malcolm Ebiowi, I've never got his name right, uh, was an unused stuff for Hull City in a 1-1 draw at home against Swansea City. And John Kamani Gordon wasn't in the squad for Carlisle. I think we'll wrap that up there. Um, so I think it's going to be quite an interesting time with the outs because so, we know we've got contract players in the first team leaving us at the end of the season. And I think it's going to be equally interesting on the ins with obviously some new signings and some of these youngsters around the squad. Interesting time ahead. Please, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to remind you one more time. Make sure you're watching us on our YouTube channel. It's really important if you're going to enjoy our show in the coming season. 
So we're going to go straight into the Wolves game, if you don't mind. After three wins and a draw, interim boss Roy Hodgson's first four games, Palace suffered their first defeat uh, since mid-March. Ian Noble, over to you. Well, we lost 2-0. Um, there you go. Over to you, uh, folk, for the West Ham game. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Um, <laughs> we lost two. There's the lineup. The first thing to say about the Wolves game at Molyneux on Tuesday night was that Roy Hodgson decided to change the complete midfield. All right. So Richards comes in at right back, which is sort of okay. We've been we've been wanting to see him again. Gahey and Anderson, Mitchell left back, and then in the midfield you've got Milivojevic with the armband, Hughes and Lokonga. Now, nothing against any of these players, but to change the whole midfield, maybe a bit, maybe was a bit a tad too much. And at least say Ayu and Eze completing the lineup there. Um, with the midfield, with so many changes, um, you know, we were questioning it before the game kicks off. Uh, and of course, we start, uh, Wolves started really brightly. You know, they, they were on the front foot straight away. They're the home side. The crowd were behind them. It was a lovely sort of, I don't know, spring evening, I suppose, in the, in the West Midlands last Tuesday night. And um, Diego Costa had a shot early on, which uh, which uh, Johnson saved. And that's that's the away support there in the corner, um, the lower and the upper tier there. And there were, were empty spaces in that, that away support. But I think for a Tuesday night, it's a pretty decent turnout. And we made ourselves heard as well. Um, so the, the save from Johnston leads to a corner. And that corner um, cost us. Um, unlucky, I think, from Anderson to get on the end of it. Jim, you know what it's like defending a corner sometimes. The ball's bouncing around. And it just hit his knee and went in for an own goal. I think the, the other thing I want to say about this is that both Jordan Ayew and Tarek Mitchell were, were sort of on the front post as well. And both of them sort of let the ball go straight past them. Neither of them attacked the ball. And I think that was the undoing, really. So I wouldn't blame Anderson. I'd probably blame Mitchell and Ayew for, for not getting to it. But, um, yeah, so we're 1-0 down on two minutes and clearly not the best start. It's not what you need when you're on the road. Um, sort of, um, we then got back into the game after a period of time. Eze had a shot from outside the box straight at their keeper. Um, and then the best move of the first half was Elise crossed the ball from the right-hand side, gets to Eze, passes it back uh, to Luca, who shoots. It ricochets, I think Hughes was involved. And Lekonga gets it and he shoots it straight at their keeper. Um, really should have done better. Just took his time a bit. He's, he's well into the sort of six-yard box and he, and he, um, he, he uh, has his shot saved. Um, and then uh, Elise, um, in the second half, move on to quickly. Second half, we go in at 1-0 down. Lekonga, uh, edge of the box, miles over. Well, he should have done better with it. Um, another Elise corner. We have 11 corners, I think, in this game, which is, which is amazing. Um, ball comes out to Eze and he volleys it just wide. A um, couple of Wolves headers from corners maybe caused us a little bit of concern. Both their centre-backs getting on the end of them. And then Elisa had a corner from the left-hand side, and it comes out to us, and he catches it on the half-volley, and it's an absolutely... It's, it's the best moment of the whole game, actually. It really was. And it was going in, and it was tipped over by Saar. It was a brilliant, brilliant effort. Really unlucky. And then shortly after that, there was another Eze shot, which was deflected just wide. So we're really getting on top by this stage. You know, 70 minutes in, 80, 80 minutes into the game. Um, Chris Richards had a very good game. He played right back in the first half. And then when Anderson went off at half-time, he switches to centre-back. And um, he did really well. And there was one moment towards the end of the, the second half when he's he's one-on-one, -on -one, I think it was with, with Costa. 
and he, he tackles him in a penalty area. Perfect tackle, really good. Majestic, he comes away with a ball, Beckenbauer-esque. So, uh, you know, really, really good. Um, or Cannon-esque. Yeah, or Cannon-esque, yeah. I, I could have said Cannon-esque, couldn't I? You know, he did really, really well. Uh, and... Um, yeah, and then we chance after chance we're putting we're battering them. You know, we're we're so much the better side. It's embarrassing. And I think Roy said in his post match press conference that you know I think the goalkeeper had about two or three touches of the ball in the whole of the second half. Um, Wall put a cross in for one of those lumps of wood. Um, John Philippe Mateta to head over, um, and then came the ninety fourth minute. So we're we're battering them. You know, they they break away on the counter. And and there's a back pass and, and and Johnson just sort of misjudges it really. It was a poor touch, and he realizes what he's done. So he, so he, he, he you know he goes over the ball, and I think it was their lad um, Neto. He rolls around like he's been shot. You know he's hardly been touched. It's in the penalty area. He's over the ball. He got the ball first, but it's probably a foul. Anywhere else on the pitch, it's given as a foul. So therefore, a penalty is probably the right decision. And the yellow cards are probably the right decision. The Neves penalty right in the corner. Nothing he could have done about that. And uh, he went the right way. So there we go. We lost the game 2-0. Um, I have to say, guys, we know nothing about football on this show at all. Because uh, every one of us last week got the predictions totally wrong. No one expected us to lose up there. Nick, you got closest with a one-all draw. Um, and there are the stats for the game, guys. So 59% possession away from home. 14 shots to their nine. Four of ours are on target. And that's, as I said, 11 corners. Uh, and we really did batter them in the second half. How we didn't score is an absolute mystery. And uh, disappointing coming back, um, driving back down the M6 and, and M40, having lost the game. Especially when you get to the M25 about midnight and they decide to close a couple of junctions and you've got to come off and all that kind of thing. And I got home about two in the morning. But, you know, it was, um, it was a, despite the defeat, it was still an enjoyable away day. Um, I like going to Molyneux. Um, it's not a bad place to go, to be fair. So there you go. There's me round up. It's a bit of a Jim is a bit of a recurring theme. This uh, Ian was mentioning bloody corners, and we're under threat from corners. Obviously, we're coming on to the other one in a minute. Um, what is it? I mean, we've got two very, very good quality centre halves uh, who certainly aren't lumps of wood. What are we doing wrong? Well, it's not. It's not always the centre halves. Uh... I mean, we're obviously going to talk about the uh, the free goals in against West Ham, but watching the highlights of the Wolves game, I, I don't think it, it don't I don't think anybody got to the ball until it hit Anderson. Is that right? Yeah, it was Anderson. Yeah. Nobody flicked on, so they, they they took the guys. You, I mean, a good defender or a good organizer or a good manager will put somebody on the edge of the six yard box. And basically, he'll be have his back to the goal line, so he'll be looking up the pitch, so that he can see anybody coming. And his only job is to get that ball that drops in. But how many times do you see people ducking to flick a ball on? So if you're ducking to flick a ball on, if there's somebody in front of you, it's not a case you're out jumped. You just got to get there before them, and that's the reason we've been letting in a lot of goals because we've not been defending the near post properly and that's the edge of the six-yard box. And going back to the Wolves game, I want to know why Anderson was facing his goalkeeper when the ball came in. Why isn't he facing where the ball's coming from? Because it just hit him so quick. 
So, but I don't understand why he's looking the wrong way. I mean, he weren't marking anybody. There was no player there. So surely he should be facing where the corner's coming from and that ball hits him on the knee and it goes back to where the ball come from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a bit organising. I, I don't suppose we've got a lot of height anyway in the back four. Well, in the team in general, not when you looked at West Ham the, uh, yesterday. But in general, you've, you've, my, my attitude is if somebody's going to actually beat me for the ball, I'm going to make sure that I'm in his way to some degree so that he's not getting a free header. But it's just a bit of organisation and certainly it's a bit of a, a sore point. And that, that's not just been the last few games. If, I know we tend to forget the early part of the season because it seemed that long ago with the World Cup. But we were just the same from corners. Every time a corner came in, we weren't defending it very well. So that's an area that we really need to work on. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the reason we have Jim Cannon on the show, talking sense. He's us three numpties and the expert. So thanks for that, mate. You're, you're absolutely bang on. Um, I just want to digress just for a second, if you don't mind, for a special lady. Uh, Teresa Baker is out there watching us live. Evening tea. I hope you're well, darling. I look forward to seeing you on the Fulham boat. On the subject of the Fulham boat, ladies and gentlemen, Teresa Baker actually is coming to the on the boat, but she does not have a ticket for the Fulham game. If anybody out in Facebook land or YouTube land has a spare ticket they're not using for the Fulham trip, please either contact Teresa direct or contact me here at the Red and Blue Review and I will make sure she gets it. Uh, and there'll be a point for anybody that, that actually comes up with it just for our Teresa. She does a cracking job in the health service. She, If anybody deserves to go, she deserves to go. So please, please help if you can. Right, I want to move on. And I'm about to turn a little bit serious, boys. Okay, because events at Sellers Park yesterday afternoon left me with the hairs on the back of my neck standing up because I was watching it from inside the stadium develop. Okay, and to say that I am totally embarrassed by our club, and they were, I'm going to say it, but you, Jill's asked me not <coughs> to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to tell you now, we were potentially in a Hillsborough situation yesterday, and I'm going to clarify what I've just said. And the club are responsible, and I'm deeply embarrassed. What I was witnessing from a great height, okay, that, that was my position, okay? So I'm on the inside, and they're on the outside. And I'm talking to my brother, who's in that crowd outside, and they were obviously out there for 40-odd minutes. Unbeknown to me, and I only found out this afternoon, there was a gentleman collapsed in that crowd out, outside, okay? Uh, the stewards acted appallingly didn't get to him and therefore didn't call the paramedics to this fella they didn't come outside with bottles of water because of the delays outside they didn't do anything i'm calling to the senior steward from inside the ground because there's nobody coming through the turnstiles i could see what was going on out there he couldn't see it because he was downstairs at ground level on the inside of the turnstiles and if you look down there there's nobody down there it's completely empty and i'm shouting at this steward you need to open those i, I nearly swore you need, you need to open those gates. This is 40 minutes before kickoff. Okay, so a long time before kickoff, or as soon as it happened. They, they bring it forward. They, they had announced that there's going to be a 15-minute delay. I'm shouting at this student. You need to open those sodding gates, and you need to open them now before somebody gets hurt. As it turns out, somebody did get hurt, but it could have been a damn sight worse than it actually was. What happened eventually? 
they opened the gates. Okay. This steward, in fairness to this steward, he was a senior steward. He was down on the ground level. I'm up on level two, looking down on what's going on outside. He actually came all the way up to talk to me. And I said, mate, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to get aggressive with you. I said, look from what I'm looking at to what you were looking at. Look down. Okay. There's thousands and thousands of people stuck outside. It just needs one group of them to rush the gates and somebody's going to get hurt. You need to open those gates. You wouldn't have it. He said, you do realise there's hundreds of cameras up here, mate. He said, and the decision-making isn't mine. I'm the senior steward, but the decision-making is made at club level inside the stadium. They are making the decisions. I said, well, you need to get on your damn radio and tell them what you can see now before somebody gets hurt. What happens 10 minutes later? I've gone back into my seat and the floodgates opened. They've opened the gates and done exactly what I was going on about. I was, I mean, nationally, we were on national TV, embarrassed, okay? Organisation, embarrassed. You know, helping the public outside with bottles of water on a warm day, embarrassed. They didn't get anything right. I'd like to know, Ian, you've got more of a, a, a sensible head on than I have. I'm still angry with what I saw yesterday. What was your experience, please? Yeah, I, I got to the ground um, probably around about, just trying to think now, probably about midday I arrived um, for a half-twelve kickoff and saw the crowds. And so a couple of those pictures you've seen up there were my pictures that I took. Um, I went around to the main stand and there were just no announcements. There was nothing, uh, no communication. I think that was part of the problem. When the guy did come on, he, he apologised for... for you know, delaying and thank you for your patience and all the rest of it. But he didn't tell us something we didn't know already. And people were starting to get a little bit agitated. Part of the reason was it was a very hot uh, lunchtime. And the sun was beating down on people and, and people hadn't really thought about that. And they all had coats on anyway. So it was a bit uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, I thought to myself, there's not going to be anybody in this queue that has not got a ticket for the game. It's not like a Champions League final where people right. chance and hope rock up hoping to get in. Nobody in that Homestale Road would have not had a ticket for the game. Let's be clear about that. And if there were one or two and they got in for nothing, then so be it. So why didn't they, make, knowing that the, the, the system was down, why didn't they make the decision to let people in using a manual checking system like they did in the end? A half an hour earlier. That was my my main gripe. Because if they'd done that, they they could have still delayed the kickoff by fifteen minutes, but it would have been a lot more comfortable for everyone, rather than worrying about whether they're going to make the kickoff or not. Because you do know that if they announce a fifteen minute delay, that's what it's going to be. They're not going to delay it any further. This is on national TV. All right. So, you know, twelve forty five kickoff. Fine. Thank you for that. But. Um, if they made that decision half an hour earlier, it would have been a lot better for everyone. So, you know, when they did let people in, it was fine. Just I waved my phone at them and it had my season ticket on it. And the bloke said, yeah, go through. Um, but Ferg, you, you you had the same experience in the Homesdale, didn't you, really? When when you were going. Yeah, in I, mean, yeah I, was, I was in that crowd. And, uh, yeah, a guy kept coming out with a tannoy telling us the same thing, that there was a fault with the IT systems for QR codes and they were working on it. They didn't, they didn't mention anything about delayed kickoffs or anything. And they didn't actually do that until I think it was two minutes after the scheduled kickoff time when we actually found out that the uh, the game had been delayed by 15 minutes. 
But then you're thinking, well, I've only got 13 minutes now to get into the ground. So, you know, what are they going to do? And people down the front were getting very angst and shouting, open the gates, open the gates. And to be honest with you, they opened the gates. I mean, I could have shown them a picture of my mum and I got in. It wouldn't, there was, there was, they weren't stopping anybody. I had a rucksack on, no one was searching anyone. It's just, you could have, you know, I could have had anything in the bag. It was, it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but it's not the first time it's happened. I think it happened at the Villa game. And uh, there was less people, and the steward made the mistake of opening the gate, and there was people waiting there, and they just rushed, rushed the gate, pushed the steward out of the way, and everyone just went through. So um, you know, it's it's dangerous. Jim, but, I think it, yeah, it's, it's. I found out since that the paper tickets, and there's obviously very few of them these days. The paper tickets were working fine. It was simply the technology on, as. Uh, the QR codes were working. Jim, very quickly, your thoughts on it, and then we'll move on. Uh, didn't cover themselves in glory, did they? Uh, well, I don't really know the full story. I mean, like Fergus just said, like opened the gates and people rushed in, and that causes more of a problem. So I think the club have got to be careful in how they do it. I mean, you want to open a set of gates and 2,000 people try to run in, being fans, they want to get in there and get the seat. So I don't. I think it's quite a difficult situation to be in. Uh, but the powers to be, I mean, the police have got the cameras everywhere. They're watching everything that's going on. So I'm sure if there was real danger, action would have been started a lot quicker. So I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm not agreeing with you. Okay. And I think it's safe to say that the club have got themselves another heft hefty fine for that coming up, uh, whether they get penalised by BT as well, the delay kickoff, and they're all under contract. So, uh, Crystal Palace, you need to look at yourselves quite seriously. I think our off-the-field stuff is is League One, League Two at best. You know, the, the box yeah. office isn't great, is it? Uh, um, you know, but it's just, it's a sh that was a shambles yesterday and a complete embarrassment for our football club. Um, and you're right, Jim. Jim. Jim's right. There wasn't any real danger to life or anything, but I guess there could have been. You know, um, you know, other comments just gone past in the chat. You know, there the, the were issues out there that were. Yeah, you know, and the trouble is, you know, even if with an early kickoff, somebody would have gone to the pub and had a few drinks, and you know that fuels it as well, doesn't it? You know. So it's, well, it's I think it'd been, if it had been three o'clock, I think it'd have been a lot worse because people would have been in the pubs for like three, four hours. Not yeah. an hour or maybe an hour and a half at most. So you know. we'll draw a line under it there, boys. I think. Um, right. Okay. Nigel, video, please. Um, so yesterday, obviously, we had this carnage outside, but we also had equal equal carnage on the pitch inside. But during the game, something funny did come to light, and I was standing in block B, and I managed to capture this video that you're about to see. It's only a short video. Uh, this guy was doing it to the West Ham and giving it to the West Ham fans. All day long. And apparently, I didn't know until today, his name is Conrad. I think Conrad is watching us on YouTube. So if you are, mate, massive congratulations to you. You made me laugh. You've made thousands of people laugh. Over 40,000 people have viewed your video uh, that Nigel's about to play. I hope he is anyway. Uh, 40,000 people have watched this video. And you have absolutely made my day. Uh, and he was doing this for... Most of the game, I don't think he was alcohol induced, it's just how he enjoys football. Nigel, run the video.
was just a snippet of what he was doing. And he was baiting the West Ham fans. And he didn't leave his seat. Actually, he did leave his seat. At one point, he ran down the pitch to have a pop at one of their players. Uh, ben Rama, I think he was. Uh, but it, it's all lighthearted. It's all good-humoured. Okay, It's football banter at its best. Conrad, if you're watching, congratulations, mate. So, on to the game. What's a fantastic spectacle for a live TV? Uh, obviously, it's been equal this afternoon with the Liverpool game. Uh, yep, we've blown their bubbles, OK? Uh, Fergus, Fergus, over to you, mate. Yeah, I don't know if Nigel's no, going to put the team up, is he? The, uh, but I, can, I, I mean, I can go through it. But obviously, there was, there was uh, a few changes from the Wolves game. Um, Ward came in for Richards. Zaha came in. Um, Decore and uh, Schlupp came back into the side. Um, so very, very attacking lineup, which is what you want to see at home. Um, kicked off. We started really well, you know, uh, passing the ball around nicely. And then um, ninth minute, West Ham get it's a corner. It's like one of those. It ricochets off our left back, I think, and it you know 20 yards away from the corner post. But it goes out, and you just think, oh right, okay. First corner of the game. Cross it. I have no idea what Alusay was thinking. I mean, it's a schoolboy error. You learn at school never never pass the ball across the face of your goal. And, um, yeah, I don't know what he was thinking there, but he's he's just headed the ball down. It's a beautiful assist for Suchek, <laughs> who, uh, yeah, just smashed it straight into the back of the net. So you, you could argue that Elise had two assists in the game, but um, one was for West Ham. Um, and then, of course, you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, here we go again with a better side for the first sort of like eight, nine minutes, and then first corner, and we can't defend it. Um, but we didn't have to wait long for the equaliser, thankfully. Um, 15th minute, IU scores. Um, yeah, really, really good play. So the Corway um, puts a through ball to Elise, cuts a nice ball through to Elise. And then he plays a, um, a he, he kind of, well, it was a beautiful ball straight through to um, uh, IU's run. And IU just tucks the ball nicely inside the post. Brilliant goal from IU. He had a, he had a, another good game. Um, yeah, Fabianski. I mean, they say keepers shouldn't get beaten at the near post, but I, I just think that was top oh, quality. Can I just IU. jump in there? I wanted to ask Jim, what has created, Jim, what has created this turnaround in IU's form? Um, we've been, you and I, and, uh, and lots of us have been critical of that player throughout the season and over the last couple of years. What is it Roy has got that nobody else can get out of, are you? Um, well, he's playing him in probably a position that he would rather play centre-forward. Uh, most of the time, he's always played out in the right wing. And I suppose the emergence of uh, Elise is now basically sort his position out. He's not going to play on the right wing. Elise is going to be a regular there. Uh, I mean, he's just... he's. On the right wing, he was. He'd always worked. You always hear the, this. This sort of like, he's brilliant. He works really hard, but there's no end product. And there wasn't really out on the on the wing. You know, he'd get the odd cross in, and but since he's gone into the centre forwards position, he's he's a predator. You know, you put him in there, I think he'll score goals, and he showed that over the last few games. And uh, but we've always we tend to always say, well, we need a big guy up front. What he does, what the other two forwards that I mentioned earlier, is when the ball comes up to him, he holds on to it. 
and that gives people in and around him time to take up positions, make runs. He knocks the ball back. Somebody else is running in behind him. So it brings a lot of things into our game. And uh, I think because Elise is a regular right winger now, he's not going to really play on the right wing unless he's just resting the lad. So I think centre-forward's the position that he's going to play in. Or if, if Wolf's not about, he'll play on the left. But he'll score goals if you put him down the middle. But you've got to give him regular. You know, like goal scoring's the hardest thing in football. And uh, you need a lot of confidence. And you, need, you need game time to sort of start getting into it. And at the moment, he looks to be in that position. Thank you, mate. Um, yes, Theresa Baker, I have read your comments. I've seen your comments. And yes, you were right. Theresa's been singing the praises of Jordan I for the last couple of years. And yes, I've seen your comments. Ian? Yeah, I mean, I was going to make that the same point. But um, yeah, I, Jim's right. He brings, he brings other players into the game, doesn't he? You know, holds the ball up. And there were numerous examples yesterday, without stealing too much of Ferg's thunder, where he brought players into the game by just little touches, little layoffs. Uh, and that really uh, enables the likes of Elise and Eze to get on the ball. Um, but when you look back at that goal, and I think when I watched it live, I didn't realise exactly what a very good goal it was. It was a precision pass, but he still had an awful lot to do. And if you look, if you watch it back again, he couldn't have put it anywhere else. It was precision right in the corner between um, Fabianski and, and the post. It was just a brilliant strike. You know, and if 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 uh, Hallen, uh, um Man City scores that goal, everyone's raving about it. If Salah scores that goal, everyone's raving about it. It was a brilliant goal, really good, really good. Yeah, and 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 the subsequence of that goal was obviously that um, uh, Kurt Zuma, um, I think IU studs landed on top of his ankle, didn't he? And he twisted his ankle, and after I think he stood up, he had treatment, stood up walked about three yards, then dropped again, had more treatment, and then eventually went off about two minutes later. But um, so I think it was, you know, the crowd was singing, that's how your cat feels, which was, which was quite funny. Um, he's not going to live that down, is he, the lad? He's, no, not, he's, he's, never, he's never going to let it down, no. no. I've got to say, no. again, let's, let's just comment on that, if you don't mind. But that was quick, OK? That is palace humour to a T. That's how your cat felt. Carry on, mate. Just made me laugh. Yeah, and then um, yeah, and then it wasn't long after that that we um, we went ahead. Zaha half scores, uh, never another well worked move, and um, yeah, it's played long over the top to Elise. He plays a one-two with Ayu before fizzing a dangerous low cross into the six-yard box. Ayu misses his flick at the near post, and uh, Zaha's on the far side, ready to to fire in the top corner, Palace 2-1. I actually think, I know it came off it. A, a West Ham defender, but... Sorry? He scuffed it. Zaha didn't... He, that wasn't he, a he did call. a little bit, he did. It came off his skin, okay, and then went into, it went into the side netting of the goal, okay, instead of not, not the back of the net, he, he scuffed it. Yeah, top, Jim, top. Jim found me out, he scuffed it, didn't he not? Yeah, he did miss kick it. I mean, like, that was going past the post. Like, but luckily for us, it, it, I thought it actually hit the inside of the post and hit the side net. So, but we don't care, do we? We don't care. No, every, every goal is a good goal when it's a Palace goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, 
so um, yeah, so that was so that was two one. I, I I was going to say I know Elise wasn't given an assist for that because it touched a, a West Ham defender when it went across yeah. the face of the goal. Ooh. So yeah, he missed out on assist for that, which I thought was a little bit unfair because um, yeah, he didn't the ball didn't deviate that much um, for, for Zaha, but there we go. Is that because um, he's in your fantasy yeah. team? Is that why? Is that why you're banging on about it? Because Elise's in your fantasy team. No, no, he's no, 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 no. He's not in my fantasy team. No, <laughs> I think I've got Eze. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, 28th minute. Um, yeah, we come close. Another corner played short by Palace, and Zaha lifts it into the the far post from the left. We seem to be doing that quite a lot yesterday with the corners, playing the short corner. Um, I don't know if they learned that from Southampton. You know, Southampton did that to us a couple of times, didn't they, in the away game? And uh, yeah. we, we seem to have adopted it. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, he lifts across the far post and uh, Guy rises to meet it and um, yeah, heads. He's beaten Fabianski, but um, yeah, heads it over the, the roof of the net. So um, that was close. And then 30th minute, old schluppy midfield, um the uh, defenders totting around with it and uh schluppy seizes the chance takes the ball off him and uh slots it through the goalkeeper's legs i'm pretty sure he shouted nuts when he did that must have done <laughs> i would have done um fantastic goal puts a three one up and uh and a place is rocking we're thinking yeah yeah of course you can Nick. yeah of course talk about schluppy and please because Getting applauded is Ayu, Elise, Zaha, um, Eze, of course. But linking them all together is uh, Jeffrey Schlupp. Do you not think? Yeah, absolutely. I thought he had a great game again. And uh, it looks really dangerous going forward, tracks back. Um, you know, he, he did really, really well. And what he did there when he picked the pocket of uh, of um, the West Ham player, just trying to think who it was. It was the lad who scored the goal, wasn't it? Um, Suchek, I think it Suchek. was. Uh, he, he picked his pocket and he still had a bit to do, didn't he? You know, you've seen them miss from there, um, but he kept his cool and really good finish. And the 3-1, I think we're cruising, and we almost, you know, we're thinking this is good, isn't it? We're yeah. cruising, you know? Yeah, until we until we gave away another corner. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, um, yeah, I mean, just, just before, just before um, West Ham's second goal, um, I think uh, Zaha crossed the ball in again and Schlapp had a chance where he um, aimed for the top corner and it went over the bar. And then yeah. a minute later, 35th minute, um, yeah, West Ham get another corner um, and it's it's flicked on at near post, as we, we've, we've already mentioned. And uh, Antonio's there at the back post, completely unmarked, um, headed goal. And then you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. There's only one team in this game, um, and they've had two goals from two corners. Poor defending from Palace. I don't know if Jim wants yeah, to comment very, on this very, goal because <laughs> very. I'm oh, sorry, folk. Very poor defending that goal, wasn't it? You know, there's no doubt about it. But if we just put that graphic back up again, Nigel, can we please with the goal? Look at that, Jim. What you? What would you? What would the manager have said to you and your defenders if you're playing in that? And you've got there, there he is on the far post, totally unmarked. Um, you know, what's Roy Hodgson going to say to them about defending that kind of uh, piece like that, Jim? Well, I don't know what he said, because it happened again, didn't it? So whatever he said, it didn't, it didn't work. 
But yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes that ball that's come in there, it's always been flicked on. <clears throat> sometimes, depend on who's marking, you you tend to get centre forwards will come big big centre forwards will come back and mark maybe their centre forward if you're both good in there. But what happens then is like as soon as the cross comes in, they they want to go up the park. So that first ball that's come in, who's, who's ever marking Antonio has just thought. Oh, he's going to win it. And when he doesn't win it, he's out of the game. So I think you've just got to, you've got to be goal side of your player in the box. You've got to be yeah. goal side. That That is a cardinal sin if you're the wrong side of him when a bold latch coming in. So the only reason I can think is either he's, well, there's probably a few, but he's gone to sleep, he's not concentrating, or he's thinking that the guy at the near post is going to cut that out. And again, it wasn't a ball where a guy had to jump six foot to flick it on he stooped down to flick it so it's just all round it's crap marking I mean it happened and and I mean that's a game end of the game it should have been 4-0 because that's how good we were and that's how crap yeah. they were because they were crap but mm. for corners we were even worse so it was a bit scary at times because the last few minutes I thought don't give them another corner because like we Actually, they got one, and Anderson got a good header on it. But yeah, yeah. over to you, Fergus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're stealing my thunder, Jamie. You're stealing my thunder. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. That's all right. I mean, I think, I think towards the end of the first half, the only other, the only, only other highlight was, and I don't know if everybody agrees with this, but oh yeah, there's, uh, there's Nick's lookalike look after the the second West Ham goal. <laughs> So I've just had a, just been a message come up in the chat. Is that me? Now have a look. No wedding ring. Okay, even though I am married. Okay, my hair's about four inches shorter. He doesn't look anything like me. But so many people have mentioned that that bloke looks like me. He wished he, was, got, he had these looks. He's got bigger guns than you, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that as well. Huge, wasn't he? Yeah. So back to the game. The um, the, yeah, the last highlight, the very, very end of the first half, I actually thought Zaha should have had a penalty. Um, the West Ham player it looked like yeah. he'd hauled him down, Definitely. and um, and it and it wasn't given. It, I don't believe it was checked, and Zaha was walking off with the referee at half time. I think asking, you know, why wasn't that a penalty? Um, and 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 the the ref kind of did a bit of a. Like he did a bit of a shimmy. I don't know what he was trying to say to Zaha. Maybe say it was fifty-fifty or something like that. But I definitely, I definitely thought it was a penalty. Go on, Ian. Yeah, I mean, in real think? time, I screamed for Stonewall. I'm standing up, screaming my head off in the main stand. How is that not a penalty, ref? Lino, have a word with him. Blah blah blah. Watch it back, and it is six of one half a dozen the other. Wilf's got his arms around him. He's got his arms around Wilf, and that's why he never gave it because Wilf was given as good as he got. Watch it back. I've watched it back a couple of times. They didn't show it on match of the day. Surprise, surprise. But if you watch it back on Palace Player, he um, it was six or one half a dozen the other. Yeah. I'm, co I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to skip through. Um, I'll just I'll just highlight the, the goals. So, um, 63rd minute, that's when the uh, the penalty happened. Um, obviously, it was a nice like, it was a nice little pass through for, for Ayu and then a guard. It looked like he'd hauled him down. Um, everybody on match of the day was saying it was a soft penalty, and I can't disagree with them. It probably was a soft penalty, but 
I think part of the reason we got that was because Zaha should have had one at the end of the first half. So, um, and then um, the, the surprise was Eze stepped up to take it. I mean, it went to VAR, so we were waiting a couple of minutes before um, he actually got to take the penalty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was interesting that Eze took the penalty. And I think after the game, Hodgson said that that wasn't that wasn't the agreement. You know, Zaha was the penalty taker, and he was going to speak to Wilf and Eze on Monday to find out what happened. But he was happy that Eze took the penalty and scored it. So, um, yeah. Yes, Ian. Well, yeah, I just wasn't... Didn't Wilf get a knock just before that? Didn't he? He got clouted, didn't he, on the left wing? And he was limping. He got a free kick for it. And he was limping, like, literally five minutes yeah. before the penalty. And I think maybe that was part yeah. of the reason why Eze took the ball off him. And I don't know, when, when Eze, Eze was the one that was fouled, and he's got the momentum, so he's like he's pumped up. You know, he's the one that's won the penalty. And I think sometimes that's that works well. And that's why he probably took the ball off him. And uh, Wilf was happy for him to have it on the basis that he, he'd taken a knock himself. Uh, but what a good penalty, well, wasn't it? Really good pen. Okay, hold on. I've got We've got the gaffer with us, okay? The boss is on the show. Our longest ever serving player, Jim. It, not a cat's hell in chance was that a bleeding penalty, was it? Well... Uh, uh, yeah, of course it was because the referee blew his whistle and gave it to us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it was. Uh, I think Wilfs was more of a penalty than that one, and they showed you yeah. it from all different angles. And he never, he didn't touch him. I don't think he might have slapped his arm, but he didn't grab him. So we'll, but we'll take it because it swings and roundabouts. We'll get something given against us that's not apparently. So we take it, don't we? We take it. Soft indeed. Fur, carry on, mate. Yeah, and I was just saying there's a lot of people in the chat saying when Wilf left after the game, he was limping quite badly. So um, so he might have genuinely been injured. Um, I know he got taken off at the end. So, yeah, so we're 4-2 <laughs> up. And then 72nd minute, uh, <laughs> another corner. Um I mean, this one, it came in low, but he's managed to, to, to sort of scoop down and flick it up. And there's two West Ham players at the, at the back post. They just bundle it over the line. It was briefly checked by VAR to see if there was a shove. Um, I don't think there was any. I mean, I think they were shoving each other. They were, they were looking for handball as well. Handball they were checking for, I think. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And, um, but it was given anyway. So, and then we find ourselves 4-3. And like Jim alluded to earlier, you know, I, th I think the score flattered them. And then it was panic stations until the, the final few minutes. Six minutes of injury time went up. Um, I think he played nine. And halfway yep. through that, they get another corner, their fifth corner. And you're just praying that Palace can actually, for once, clear their lines. <laughs> and, and Anderson does do that. And then, yeah, I think that was about the 94th minute. And then for the next five minutes, I was screaming for the ref to, to blow the final whistle. Because I could just see, you know, that Palace have got this self-destruct button that they always seem to find in the last five minutes of a game, where you just think we're well, in total control of it, and and then and then just we just make one silly error, and and we find ourselves either behind or or, or level again. So, yeah, when the whistle went, massive relief. But the whole game, I think, Palace just played with a freedom. We just looked really, really good. We've got a lot of talented players. And, um, 
they were just allowed to play their game. Yeah, there we go. Possession, 60% Palace, 16 shots, six on target, eight corners to their five. They managed to score from three of them. And uh, and fouls, yeah. That so so seventeen fouls, and I don't know, I don't know if anyone noticed it. I thought uh, Declan Rice committed quite a few potential yellow card tackles, and I don't think he was booked. Um, so yeah, a little bit disappointed with that because um, you know he could have that could have potentially been down to ten men if if the ref had actually you know done his job properly. But here we go, we won the game, so superb, mate. Well done. Um, so Palace, a great three points, puts us on 40 points and now safe. We've got Chelsea in our rear view mirrors, looking, looking behind us. I think, oh, look, and, and as if by magic, <laughs> anyone would think that we had a producer on the show that was actually listening to me. Oh, what a top lad he is. Nigel Croucher, we couldn't do it without you. So on to the next and our next four games. Can we talk about our next four games, Nigel? Because... I think the interesting thing, yes, we're above Chelsea. Chelsea have got this awful running and Palace have got that, OK? And the, the team above us, of course, I think they're five points clear of us, are Fulham. And that will be a very interesting game because Tottenham, I believe, will get something out of Fulham if we can. That'll take you to Bournemouth and Forest, both winnable games. So, hang on a minute. We're sitting comfortably in 11th place. Is there, is there a chance? Is there a chance, Ian? Do you reckon we could we could catch Fulham? I know we talked about it pre-show, and you looked at me, looked at me as though I was mad. But you said that two weeks ago, and I said we're going to catch Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, of course we can. Of course, there's a chance, every chance. And um, we put a poll out on Twitter this morning on the Red and Blue Review uh, Twitter um, handle. And uh, oh, it's a bit small that on the screen, but hopefully you can read it. It says uh, um, we got 13 April Premier League points. Obviously, from a, a possible 18, how many in the month of May? Um, so, just two percent of our poll, and there were 106 votes. So, two percent said uh, a limp home with naught to three points. Um, 29 percent just enough between four and six. Um, 23 percent we're going to smash it with 10 to 12 points. Um, but the winners was a 46 percent vote for a credible seven to nine points from those final four games. How many points in the chat? Daniel Garlic already thinks 12 points. Should win our next four games, lol. So I don't know whether you're, you're serious there, Daniel, probably not. Um, but let's get your predictions on the number of points we're going to pick up in May in the chat. How many do you, do you agree with the poll on Twitter? 46%, seven to nine points is what the um, significant minority believe we're going to get. Oh, you're muted, Nick. Did you did you have something about April's uh, predictions as well? Do you want to? Talk well, I think about? we did it, but it's so long ago that I can't remember who. If we um, we we kept a record of it, I didn't. Uh, I don't know whether Nigel did. Our, our producer guy, um, who's whoever predicted thirteen points in April. If you did, well done, congratulations, you were right. You've won nothing, by the way. <laughs> they could have a mug if, if somebody if we could actually find the results. I'll send them out a mug. Right, okay. Jimbo, you next, mate. I'm sorry, but I need I need your expertise. Okay. I was one of the probably less positive people about reappointing Roy Hodgson. I could understand the logic behind it. Okay. I understood that we needed somebody who knew the club, somebody who knew some of the players. <coughs> the life of me, what what Jim, what has he done? 
tell me, explain to me what you think about Roy Hodgson and what you think he's done to this group of players to make him perform as he has done. We, we could have we could have had Frank Lampard for God's sake. Yeah, we didn't want that, did we? Um, <laughs> I, I don't think he probably had to do a lot. I think uh, probably Patrick Vieira. The I suppose we were on a downhill slope with results with Patrick. Things weren't going that well. The players looked a bit stale. And uh, it's just a, a fresh pair of hands. Uh, a, a lad that's been there. Can I call my lad when he's 75? <laughs> but he's been there. He's seen it. He's done it. Uh, he knows a lot of the players. And I think the one thing in his favour was we were coming up against all the teams below us. Whereas Patrick, up since Christmas, has been playing all the teams above us. So that was unfortunate for him. But they just look to be playing with a lot more freedom. You know, when you watched, when you watched our front, well, our five, our front three and the two midfield players, uh, the, the movement and the freedom and the interchanging that was going on between them, you're looking at it, sometimes you think, well, that's not the palace that we know. So he's, which is unusual for us to think that Roy's taken the shackles off everybody because we've always assumed that he was a bit more defensive-minded. But when you look at the team he's got now and the team he finished with, I mean, he didn't have the two, probably two of the best centre-half partnership in the country. He didn't have the Curry in the middle of the park. He didn't have Elise wide on the right. So he's, uh, he's inherited a really good side. And I think he's just... And it's, it's all about confidence. You know, you beat Leicester uh, and then you go to Leeds and you have an unbelievable 5-1 win. And suddenly people want the ball. People want to play. They, they think they can win games. And he's just, I think he's just taking a lot of pressure off the team and just, uh, he's, he's given them a lot of freedom. I mean, this is a guy that took Fulham to a European Cup final. So he's not somebody that's, that's never been a, a good manager, but we've always, when he's been at Palace, we've always assumed he's a bit more defensive minded. But maybe that was because he didn't have the players that he's got at the moment. So... Uh, he's looking good and could he be the manager of the year? Because he's only got another four games. Yeah. He wins a couple of them and okay. he'll have the best record in the Premier League. <laughs> Jim, you've actually segued us beautifully into the next subject, okay? What happens next at the end of the season? What happens next with Roy and a new appointment or Roy in an advisory capacity? What's your thoughts? Uh, I don't. I'd, I would tend to think that they won't keep him on as manager purely because of his age. But then again, they might be thinking, well, we'll give him another year. We've got Paddy McCarthy there as a young coach, you know, like, could could he come through? Uh, I mean, you've also got Ray Lewington. I mean, he's a big part of Roy Hodgson. And uh, you think sometimes, why don't Ray sort of get on and do the job? He's like, still a young coach uh there's a few scenarios there i would think looking at it realistically they'll go for a, a new manager uh but he, he, if roy wins his next three four games two three four games they might be going well shall we give him another year i don't know you, you need to ask mr uh parish about that one 
Thank you, mate. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got Jim Cannon. Read them on week back of the nest and five-year plan. Jim's a regular on our show. Ian, your thoughts, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying up until even before Saturday's game that, no, Roy Hodgson would not be a man, our manager next season. But as Jim's just pointed out, if we were to win, if we were to win our last four games, which are, is very doable, isn't it? You know, we've looked at the fixtures. Nothing there really France. It's top of my way tricky. Of course it is. But if we were to win those four games, it makes it very difficult if Roy Hodgson and, and his team with Ray Lewington and Paddy McCarthy want to stay on for another 12 months. It makes it very difficult not to accept that and keep him in situ, doesn't it? You know, um, yeah. how do we know that a new guy with his, with his own setup would, would be any better or would they not be significantly worse? You know, we, we've been burnt a few times now. The Frank de Boer debacle. All right, Patrick had a good first season. But, you know, season two, uh, the wheels came off as they did in the early part of this year. And, you know, who, who who's to say that anyone else out there is going to do a better job? I think maybe the, the other people that we would maybe consider are British managers that are without portfolio at the moment. You know, the likes of Graham Potter maybe or... Um, or uh, the guy that's just left Leicester. Yeah, Rogers maybe. You know, but it's it's, it's a very tricky one. It makes, it makes a, a difficult decision. If Roy and Ray want to stay and we win these next four games, that's really the point I'm trying to make. Ferg, your thoughts? I wouldn't be against it, but I'm not so sure why he wants another year in, in football, being 75 years old. You know, it's, it's a high-pressure job, isn't it? Um I, I I think probably we need a new manager to come in, somebody like a Brendan Rodgers. Um, but I would suggest keeping Ray Lewington and uh, Paddy McCarthy in those positions so we've got continuity, so it's an easy transition. So whoever comes in, um, they've already got an idea of how we play and the style of play, what Roy's sort of implemented in the last sort of couple of months. And then um, fresh start next season. That's, Thank you, mate. That's, um, that's how I would see it. I just want to pick up on something um, somebody said in the chat. Andrew Adams has just said, where's Jell on this Roy Hodgson's discussion? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, Andrew, because uh, those of you that don't remember, Jell was the one that said, get that old what's it, XXX out of my club. He was fuming at the end of the... Uh, so, But I, I do want to touch on Jell Holyoke and on behalf of the Red and Blue Review family... Send him our love, okay? Joe has had a bit of a heart operation. He's a very private man, as you know, but he won't he won't mind me telling you all this. Uh, in fact, he's told me that it's okay to do so. He's had a bit of a heart operation this week. He's absolutely fine. He's back to his usual moaning bastard self, okay? Um, and he's up and about. And uh, next week he'll be or the week after next he'll be going back to work. So he is. I've, I've spoken to him every single day this week. He even showed sent me pictures of his surgical socks in in hospital he's doing well so uh sending you our love mate okay and he'll be back i think he's back on the show next week actually i believe it's next monday he's, he's coming he's due he's on the lineup um so that's that um i think we're going to draw a line if you don't mind have i ian i know you asked me about a couple of things before the show uh keep your predictions coming in please because we are looking at them um have i missed anything ian no, uh, we talked about the fact that none of us got the Wolves result right. Um, guess what? None of us got the West Ham result right either. Oh, we got the result right. Nick and Nick, yourself and I, we said we we're going to win. So we got that right. I said 3-1. I was the closest. Um, 
but Tim and Fergie were rubbish. You got it wrong. You should have drawn, mate. Um, so um, see if we can do better with the top prediction. Going to be at the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. What's that? Five nil. What's that mean? I don't know. I've no idea. No idea. Take that down, Nod. Oh, that's the oh, kids. We haven't done that. No, I haven't done the kids, have I? Oh, that's what he's reminding me. Jim, uh, before we do the kids, let's have your prediction. We're away at Tottenham Stadium next week. Your your thoughts on uh, how, how it'll go? Uh, well, the Tottenham, I've just watched the Tottenham game 10 minutes ago. It's like, they're, they're, they're a decent side. Uh, if we get a draw, I think that'd be a good result for us, yeah. Draw says the, the big man. Ian, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to go 2 2, the same as Rob Cranfield. I think it's a really good shout. I think there'll be goals. And um, Facebook user agrees with us as well. So a two all draw at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium next Saturday on Coronation Day. Ferg. Um, I'm going to go, oh, let's be positive. I'm going to go 2 1 Palace. So <laughs> 90 minute winner. Uh, no, yeah, quite nothing you there then were you 2-1 prediction yeah I'm going to go that as well right okay yeah. I'm going to quickly whiz through the other other teams so the under 18s their final match of the season was a 1-1 draw at home to West Brom in the under 18s Premier League the under 21s on Mon- on Monday uh, hang on a minute I'll just get rid of it on my screen uh, they put, um, sadly they lost 5-0 to Wolves uh, on the Friday the 28th the under 21 also went down again to Blackburn Rovers, 3-0 at home. It's in the Premier League 2. Uh, their next match is on Wednesday, the 3rd of May. Uh, semi-final of the Premier League International Cup at Sellers Park. Crystal Palace under-21s versus Valencia under-21s at Sellers Park. So get yourselves down there. And I must, uh, uh, the main word of note tonight is the final match of the season for the Palace ladies. They drew a credible draw, uh, 1-1 away at Charlton. Uh, Charlton finished just above them in the league, Okay, But Crystal Palace ladies, as you can see on that graphic, finished fifth in the table. They were top for a few weeks as well. Some of those teams above them, the London Lionesses, are a cracking team. Charlton are a very strong team. And obviously, Bristol City women. So massive congratulations to the ladies. They've had off-the-field issues this season to contend with as well. And they've had some serious injuries. Uh, two of the girls have been out long-term injuries. So to finish fifth in their division, massive congratulations. Um, we are back again next Monday, I believe, Ian. Is that right? Yeah, we, we decided to do the show on Monday, which is the bank holiday, even though we're playing on the Saturday. And that's because there's the coronation, there's a concert on TV, and there's live football. And we thought we would be competing with too much other stuff on the Sunday. So we're going to go Monday at 8 p.m. Okay. So, uh, boys that are on with me tonight, can you stay behind after? I just want to have a quick word about something after the show. Ladies and gentlemen, out in Facebook land, I hope you enjoyed yesterday uh, after you got inside the stadium. Crystal Palace will be looking at themselves, I'm sure. Uh, they put out a statement saying there's an investigation, so the demo should be. Um, on behalf of everybody connected with the Red and Blue Review, I wish you well. Have a safe week and up the palace. Good night, everybody. God bless. Night, guys. Evening, all.